0: And you can get an extra three months free. ExpressVPN.com slash slash film. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, January 26th, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news and answering a few questions from the mailbag. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at slashfilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film managing editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. And writers Wyatt Turnbull.
1: Hey, everyone.
0: And Chris Evangelista. Hello. Welcome to the show, everyone. Let's jump right into the news. Uh, Chris, tell me about the new Tomb Raider sequel. We got some news about a director of that project.
2: Yes. Yeah, so uh, Misha Green, who created and wrote most of um, HBO's uh, Lovecraft Country series, is now going to direct the sequel with uh, uh, Alicia Vikander coming back to play Lara Croft uh, a few years ago, um, 2018 it was announced that Ben Wheatley would be directing Tomb Raider 2, which caught all of us by surprise. And that just never panned out. And now Ben Wheatley is directing The Meg 2 instead. So uh, he's he's traded one unnecessary sequel for another. And uh, now Misha Green is taking over. She's also going to write the script too. So that's where
0: we are. Uh, did you see the uh, previous Alicia Vikander Tomb Raider film, Chris? I did. What did you think about it?
2: Uh, it was it was fine. I mean, it wasn't like awful, but it was pretty forgettable. I mean, you know, it's always nice when Walton Goggins shows up and does his thing. <laughs> but beyond that, I you know, I wasn't like I want to see more of this. It it makes that it made that same mistake that every not every but so many Hollywood franchises make now, where the first movie ends up being a secret prequel. And then mm-hmm. at the end, they're like, the next movie is when we're really going to have the real Tomb Raider. And I really wish Hollywood would stop doing that because it's really annoying and really stupid. Just, you know, just give us what we want from the get go. That's what people yeah. want. They don't want to they don't want all set up. And that's what this was like. She's barely a Tomb Raider in this. And at the very end, she's like, now I'm the Tomb Raider. She doesn't actually say that, but you go what I'm talking about.
3: <laughs> Chris, uh, I have a well, question for you about this. Um Knowing that um, one of the things that first movie that does work is Alicia Vikander, do you think that building a movie around her with the right director and the right script is actually a good idea? Because I, I can't help but feel modestly good about this.
2: I mean, yeah, I, I definitely think uh, she's a good actress, and I think in the right material she could do well. You know, and nothing against Misha Green. I, you know, I liked Lovecraft Country for the most part, but a part of me is always going to really want the Ben Wheatley version, just because I want to know what that looks like. The Ben Wheatley. Tomb Raider, but I'm definitely willing to give this a shot. You know, in in, in different creative hands.
0: Yeah, I'm wondering if the Ben Le- Ben Wheatley version would have just been like sad and sort of kneecapped by studio stuff, and that's why he ended up walking away. So maybe we don't want the Ben Wheatley version because it would have just been <laughs> like unfortunate. So hopefully, Misha Green uh, has like a you know an interesting take on this, and and um, maybe some sort of connection to the material that will that will uh, yeah make her her vision shine here. So. Uh, I guess I look forward to seeing what this is, even though I have never seen the first movie, and and I don't I don't know if I could bring myself to watch it after Chris's glowing review just now. But Ben, um, you should watch it. I mean, knowing
3: your tastes, your personal tastes as a guy who enjoys a a good solid B action movie, I think that it's more aligned to what the things you enjoy than the Chris. So you should watch it and report back. I, th- I, think, okay. I, I, I think I think it's okay. I it's totally fine. To have the movies. Chris is not inaccurate. Chris is Chris is right, but I also think the movies. Uh, movie worked a little better for me. I think that speaks to all of you out there. Watch Tomb Raider. It's not, it's okay. It's okay.
1: (laughs) I think it's one of the more successful video video game adaptations because it made me really excited about puzzles.
0: Oh, all right. Well, I've played the game and had fun doing that. So maybe I'll check this one out uh, in the end anyway. Um, HT, let's talk a little bit about movie theater chains and Uh, how they are surviving or not surviving or what the latest updates are for two of the biggest uh, theater chains in the country right now. What's happening in the the movie theater world?
1: They are surviving, but they are kind of barely scraping by. Uh, In a new report from Variety, AMC Theaters uh, has managed to save off bankruptcy once again. It's been on the precipice of bankruptcy even before the pandemic took a wrecking ball to its finances. But the company has managed to raise $917 917 million dollars in new equity and debt capital and uh, they're calling it enough cash to quote make it through this dark coronavirus impacted winter adding that its financial runway has been extended deep into 2021 so uh, AMC CEO Adam Arone is uh, very optimistic after this uh, this raising of new capital apparently having apparently saying that uh, the uh, the sun is shining on AMC in his statement.
0: Huh. OK, well, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I'm reading his his quote here right now, and it says this means that any talk of an imminent bankruptcy for AMC is completely off the table. So, yes, I, I mean, that's been something like you mentioned that that has been floating around for a long time. Everybody's been very, very worried about AMC. But it sounds like maybe considering how, you know, that, that we assume that the uh, vaccines are going to be ramped up and, and production and distribution of all that maybe everything will be okay for AMC, question mark? So uh, I guess we'll, we'll have to wait and see on that. What about Regal? What's going on over there?
1: So this is, uh, the update from Regal actually comes from a New York Times report, mostly t- uh, speaking about AMC and uh, the a larger theater chain sort of struggle throughout the pandemic. But Regal uh, is finally following the tail of, uh, the example of other uh, cinema chains in arranging a deal with Universal to shorten the theatrical release window uh, before it hits VOD, so this was something that uh, Regal Cinemas had originally criticized when AMC first made the deal with Universal, uh, calling it the wrong move at the wrong time. Oh, and I, I have to say, uh, the owner of Regal Cinemas is named Mookie Gradinger, and he was the <laughs> one who said this. Who said this quote? And so, this is a man who is a real person and not the uh, a side character in a pulp detective novel.
0: Mookie. All right. Love it. Um, is this the only deal of any kind with, uh, I mean, I guess uh, with any other studio for Regal? Do we know that, HG? Do we know if they've made deals with any other? studio like this
1: uh we don't know of any other studios for now but right now it's just universal but we're assuming that this might be because universal is kind of at the forefront of this maybe other hollywood studios will follow suit and (laughs) uh already amc seems to be conceding to warner brothers day and date release of the upcoming uh denzel washington star the little things which is uh playing in um theaters and uh on hbo max
0: Huh. Okay. So I think what, there was some conversation that like maybe, uh, AMC because Warner brothers made that decision to have the films be released day and date, you know, or simultaneously, uh, you know, theatrically and on VOD, there was some conversation that maybe the, the theater chains would just back away and say like, uh, we're if you're going to do this, we're not going to show your movies in theaters, but it sounds like they're, they're, uh, not enforcing that right is yes, that my understanding that correctly yeah, okay
1: that appears to be what's say what's um being said in the report uh but not that they could really afford to enforce that at this at this time unfortunately right
0: and and not that uh, hopefully fingers crossed not that that many people are actually going to you know see movies in amc movie theaters anyway i think they're still closed in a lot of places around the country right now so um yeah i think this is all just like laying the groundwork for. Things to come, right? Like, do you do? Does this news give you any sort of sense, HT, about like where you think? the movie theater industry is going or like uh, if you think any of these um, policies that are being adopted now are going to be you know are going to stick around for the long term what do you think about that?
1: Well there's a lot of chatter that because Regal being the last holdout in terms of uh, making a deal with Universal and possibly other Hollywood studios to shorten that theatrical release window that this will be uh, a more common thing even post-pandemic that the theatrical release window will be shortened from uh, where it was pre-pandemic and it was about I have to say three months around the time that movies have to be exclusive theatrically before they can finally make their way to VOD. And there's a lot of chatter right now that that is going to be permanently shortened um, Mm. even after the pandemic.
0: All right. Yeah, we'll keep you guys posted when we learn more. Uh, in the meantime, let's talk a little bit about uh, some changes to a classic Disney theme park ride. Chris, give us the latest on what's going on with the Jungle Cruise attraction.
2: Uh, yeah, so Jungle Cruise, uh, one version of it or another has been around since the 1950s, and now it's getting an update. Um, when I wrote this story yesterday, we didn't have all the details, but what we knew was there was a quote saying the the updates will add new scenes and It will also, quote, stay true to the experience we know and love and also reflect and value the diversity of the world around us. And uh, you don't have to read between the lines to tell that it sounds like they're going to retool some of the more uh, offensive elements of the ride, uh, which is something Disney announced they were doing with Splash Mountain and how it tied into um, Song of the South. And uh, this, uh, the Jungle Cruise ride has instances where um, characters refer to the indigenous characters as, quote, Savages, Which uh, we all know is a terrible thing. Um, we also theorized that it might be tying into the upcoming uh, Jungle Cruise movie. But as I understand, Ben, you wrote up additional info on this and that's not the case. So now I'm throwing it to you. Yes. Yeah. The
0: uh, one of the Imagineering executives was asked about a potential connection between the movie and these new updates, because, you know, in like the Pirates of the Caribbean ride, for example, they they've like inserted Johnny Depp in there. And, you know, we just assumed, okay, Jungle Cruise is doing an update and there's a live action Jungle Cruise movie coming. It seems like a good bet that this new update to the ride will include, you know, Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt's characters in some way or something. But, uh, his quote here is, um, I'm sure the film is fantastic and we're very excited about it, but integrating the film into our classic jungle cruise is not part of this effort. Uh, does that mean that as Imagineers, we won't put Easter eggs in there? We'll definitely do that, but we're not adding a major storyline or character from that film. So, um, don't expect to see an animatronic version of Dwayne Johnson or Emily Blunt standing on the on the shores next time you happen to ride the uh, Jungle Cruise ride. But uh, Jacob, as our our um, you know resident Disney expert on on this episode of the podcast, anyway, uh, what do you make of this? Uh, it's about time. I mean, Jungle Cruise is like it's a classic
3: piece of American theme park design. It's it's an opening day Disneyland attraction, and it's been updated over the years, but it's it's needed an overhaul for a little while now. It's, it's problematic at best, racist at worst. And it's still, for the most part, a really charming thing. It's really funny, and it's has a real sense of humor and story, and story progression to it. Uh, but yeah, it, it's jarring when you, when the boat waters into a, into a scene where it's like, oh my god, this was made in the fifties. Oh no, uh, and it's about time because it really is a a really nice classic thing that that needs to be preserved in a way that makes it relevant and not offensive for modern audiences. Uh, I do think that. Although we, we're definitely not going to see uh, an animatronic Dwayne Johnson, I guarantee you will probably see a photograph of him in the in, in the queue for the Jungle Cruise, like saying, "Oh, mm. he's a photograph of our founder of, of our Jungle Cruise company." I, I but that's what happens. Yeah, uh, but there are other interesting things here, Like they have some concept art for other scenes, include a boat over to overtaken by monkeys and a redone version of the famous uh, Mark Davis design. People trying to climb a pole while a rhinoceros is after them. Uh, so there's, you know, a little tweak little tweaks coming to a lot of famous scenes from it. Uh, and as a Disney theme park guy, you gotta, you gotta evolve or die. You know, if, if, if you want your classic ride to remain relevant in 2021, you gotta, re- you gotta take the temperature of the room and realize, Hey, this either has to be a relic of the past or something that's, that's malleable and can change. And mm-hmm. I think the Disney theme parks ethos of realizing we can change and evolve and keep moving has always been one of their strong suits. So this is all good news. And anybody who complains about this is, is, I, I don't even have a nice word to say maybe stuck in the past in a wrong, in the wrong kind of way. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, I was going to say, so say that in a much meaner way, but you said it <laughs> in, a, in a very polite way that did not involve me putting down people in particular. So thank you, Ben.
0: <laughs> well, I want to ask you one thing about uh, about this, Jacob. Um, the, the LA Times points out that uh, some of the aspects of the ride as it currently stands is that there is a, uh, a spear-waving war party that was added to the ride in 1957 that is presumably going to be removed or, or updated in some way with these new updates. And then they also mentioned that 1957 was the same time that this uh, Trader Sam character which uh, they describe as, quote, a dark-skinned man today outfitted in uh, straw tribal wear was introduced to that ride. And since then, uh, Disney has adopted that Trader Sam name for a couple of the Tiki bars that they have there. I've, I've been to the one in Disneyland and had a drink in there, and they have the whole thing, like, yeah, full on tiki bar like volcanoes and the the decor and everything. I want to ask you, Jacob, have you ever been to Trader Sam's? A and then B. Do you think that that bar should also change its name uh, as part of these updates? I've not been to Trader Sam's.
3: It's um, one in Disney World, and I was last there. I didn't have a chance to go down there, but no, they're, they're all immensely popular. People people love the Trader Sam's uh, locations. My guess is that the, is that they'll keep the Trader Sam's name on those places. And replace the animatronic with a new character, also named Trader Sam, who is also but who is a p- portrayed as an actual human being, animatronic as opposed to being a cartoon mm-hmm. uh caricature. I, I think that that way you you honor the legacy of there other being a character named Trader Sam, but you actually make it someone who's not who's not a punchline, not a joke, but an actual character. Because you know there are so many beloved Disney characters in these rides who are not you know. Um, racist caricatures. Mm-hmm. So there's no reason why they can't you know, fix that and, and create a, a new take
0: on that name and just say, yep, this is how he's always been Yeah, move forward like that. For sure. Uh, okay, so our next story involves a uh, movie adaptation of a video game called Borderlands, which originally came out in 2009 and is just now finally being developed into a movie. And uh, Eli Roth is going to be directing the film. We know that uh, Cate Blanchett is going to be starring in it. Uh, Craig Mazin, who wrote Chernobyl, Uh, is uh, writing the script. And now today, uh, news came out that Kevin Hart is going to be starring in this movie, playing a character named Roland, who is described as sort of like a serious soldier, a skilled soldier type character. And The Hollywood Reporter says that this will be a more serious acting turn for Kevin Hart than the normal sort of you know, uh, joke-a-minute, really fast-talking kind of characters that he often plays on screen. I have never played Borderlands, but this does sound like an interesting, potentially interesting shift for him. Uh, Jacob, I know that you're a little bit more familiar with this video game. What do you make of Kevin Hart as this Roland character?
3: Yeah, I played Borderlands back in 2009, and I'm actually playing the third one right now. <laughs> I skipped the second one uh, in the in-between. Uh, but this is interesting because these the four playable characters in the first Borderlands game, which they're based in this movie, aren't really characters as much as they are you know, avatars. Like, what? Kind, how do you want to kill people? Like, do you want to use space magic? If so, play as Lilith, who's, who Kate Blanchett is playing. Do you want to use machine guns, then play Roland? Uh, then that's who Kevin Hart is taking on. So he's actually not like a Kevin Hart character at all. In, in the context of the game, he's a very serious, stoic soldier type uh, who doesn't have a very vivid personality beyond, you know, tough guy who carries big guns and, and kills things. Uh, but the Borderlands games are full of this really ribald or raunchy humor they're essentially a um super goofball Mad Max in space <laughs> tone is the it pretty much is basically what if a planet but all mad Max planet is, is huh. it's the um setting for um uh for this uh and I don't I'm really interested because Kevin Hart has been in action movies before he usually being a comedic foil to like Dwayne Johnson in most cases but mm-hmm. I'm really curious to see how he carries himself here, because this is not a character who demands hard skills, which means that he's either doing something completely different, or they retooled the character to be funnier or more charismatic. I don't know. I'm very curious to see what he does here, because he's a you know, famously hard worker, and he's a, he's a funny guy they write material. Uh, I straight up don't know. I mean, Craig Mazin is what a turnaround from the days where he used to write terrible comedies to writing like Chernobyl. <laughs> Uh and Eli Roth horror guy doing this, and Kate Blanchett, i Kevin I don't even know what to make
0: of this. I mean, i It's such both, a weird know? like grouping of people, like an unexpected pairing on pretty much every level, I think. Yeah. it's. it's Borderlands games are
3: really hit and miss, sometimes they're really good, sometimes they're not. Um and they are often they, they lean very heavily on the comedy. So I'm very curious to see if they maybe have Kevin Hart playing a more serious part, but maybe incorporate some of the, the game world comedy into the actual character.
0: Yeah, I was wondering, like, my first thought was like, oh, if you're hiring Kevin Hart, you're doing that for his, you know, for lack of a better phrase, particular set of skills. And uh, so I was like, oh, they're just going to alter this sort of stoic, serious character to be more of a, a funny man kind of character. And then Eli Roth released a statement saying, Uh, Borderlands is a very different kind of role for Kevin Hart. Um, and we're excited to thrill audiences with the side of him that they've never seen before. So it does sound like they're actually going to, you know, do, (laughs) do something a little bit more serious there. So, um, you know, as somebody who, uh, finds Kevin Hart to be, um, a little much and, and maybe it was just like oversaturation because it seemed like he was just everywhere all the time for, a little while there, a few year stretch there. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm personally much more interested in seeing him take a, a little bit of a, a diversion from just doing the same thing over and over again. Um, anybody else out there HC Chris, do you guys have any thoughts about uh, Kevin Hart particularly, or, or maybe taking on, maybe, maybe toning things down a little bit from his normal shtick?
1: Well, he tried to make a shift to drama with the upside. I think, which was a... Oh, I forgot about yeah. that movie
0: entirely. It was yeah, a remake movie... of
1: um, the uh, French film, The Intouchables, which starred a, Mar- a Marseille of Lupin. Uh, yes. So, but I... Yeah, that movie kind of just went completely under the radar, I feel like, after... Despite having Brian Cranston in the cast, too. But, yeah.
0: I think I remember reading that, like nobody talked about it, but that movie actually made a ton of money. It, yeah, it was it, like, like a performed.
2: huge hit, even though yeah, it got like very really for some reason, it was just a big hit. So. Huh?
0: Uh, yeah. I completely forgot about that. I did not see that version. I saw the original version, but I, I did not see uh, Kevin Hart's attempt at drama there. Um, Chris, did you see the upside or, or what do you make of uh, Kevin Hart's potential shift here?
2: Uh, I, you know, I, I did not see the upside. I don't really care for Kevin Hart's humor, but I, you know, maybe, Maybe I'll care for his, uh, his dramatic work if he pulls it off. But uh, I'm also never interested in ever seeing an Eli Raw movie again as long as I live. So really, no, no, nothing here really appeals to me except for like Kate Blanchett, who I, I always enjoy. But beyond that, I'm, I'm very uh, nonplussed on the Borderlands film.
0: The uh, house with the clock in its walls didn't do it for me. No, you.
2: that was <laughs> bad. He's, he's just not good. I don't think I've really ever liked a Eli Roth movie. So, yeah, he's not, he's he's not, not for me. A,
3: I will add one more thing before we move on to the next subject, which is yes, if they are following the Temple of the First Borderlands game and there are four playable characters, you know, either playing solo or with friends online, they still have to cast the sniper guy and the guy who hits stuff really hard. So, start thinking up which crazy actors you want to see intermix with Kevin Hart and Kate Blanchett as the sniper and guy who hits stuff hard.
0: Yeah, as long as it's people, I mean, as long as they continue down this path of, like, the least uh, obvious choice, I mean, I think I'm, hopefully the movie will at least be more interesting overall. So uh, we'll keep you guys posted with more Borderlands updates as they roll in. Uh, In the meantime, speaking of updates, uh, here's a brief update on Alien Nation, which uh, Jeff Nichols, the filmmaker behind uh, Take Shelter and Mud and Midnight Special, uh, a few years ago he was attached to direct a remake of Alien Nation, which is a 1988 sci-fi buddy cop movie starring uh, James Kahn and Mandy Patinkin. And it's basically about these uh, aliens that that land on Earth and are quarantined for like three years. And then uh, they start integrating into society. And Mandy Patinkin plays the LAPD's first alien cop. And he's partnered up with James Kahn's character, who is like a, I guess, like a racist, but like a, a sp- speciesist, like a speciesist, like he he does not like the alien. uh, He doesn't like the idea that these aliens are now sort of integrating into society. So um, that sounded like really sort of like fertile ground for Jeff Nichols, who is a a really um, sort of a low key filmmaker, but like a very, very good one. I think he's like one of the best uh, directors who are out there right now who are working currently, who is not quite a household name yet. But if you've seen his movies, you know, the kind of quality that he brings to every project. He was attached to direct this uh, film remake of alien nation. And then, um, and that was supposed to be with Fox and then Disney bought Fox. And after spending, I think it was three years on this project, it basically got just like shuttered because of the acquisition. And it was kind of a heartbreaking experience for Jeff Nichols, but, uh, now, he says that Disney came to him and recently said, would you consider turning this into a series? And he took it and on a recent episode of the Team Deacons podcast, which uh, features Oscar winning cinematographer Roger Deacons, and as a side note, is a very, very good podcast that anybody who's interested in filmmaking should listen to. Uh, Nichols was a guest on that recently and, and basically said that he has broken his uh, his script and and broken down all the work that he did for the film version of this remake and and instead uh, spread it out into a 10 episodes uh, script for basically scripts for a 10 episode series so the ball is now back in disney's court and they are deciding um whether or not they're gonna give that a green light but it sounds more promising than just um you know completely stomping the project out of existence altogether. So uh, that's good news. Um, I have never seen alienation, but Chris and Jacob, this seems like something that you guys would have seen. Uh, Any thoughts on this at all? Alienation is good. Uh, It's one of those concepts that's uh, maybe
3: better on paper than in execution because of the limitations of what they're working with at the time. Uh, But it's such a fertile idea that with modern storytelling and visual effects and makeup and Ten hours to you know really breathe in this world. I think that they could really take a good idea and make into a great series. Uh, I like that movie, but I think Jeff Nichols could make it into something really special. Chris, have you seen Alienation?
2: I actually have it. I'm, I'm aware of it. I know it exists, and I know there used to be another Alienation TV series based on this movie, but I've never actually gotten around to seeing it. That said, I'm I'm a big Jeff Nichols fan, so I'm very interested in pretty much anything he does. So if this happens, I will check it out.
0: HC, I feel like you're a Mandy Patinkin fan. Maybe I I underestimated I should have included you in this. Have you seen uh, Alien Nation because he's involved in that movie?
1: I have not seen Alien Nation, but I am a Mandy Patinkin fan. (laughs) Thanks for asking.
0: All right. Uh, okay. So I think that's the last part of uh, the news section and you guys can read more about these specific stories. We'll put links to all of them in the show notes, but let's dive into the mailbag for a few minutes. Um, we asked you guys, we put out the call for you to send uh, your, your, you know, questions and, and uh, topics for us to, to discuss in the mailbag. And you can do that at Peter at dot and several of you have. So let's uh, let's answer a few of these questions here. Um, somebody who did not, uh, their name or general geographic location uh so i cannot credit them here but they said do you count spice world the movie as a musical it features songs performances and the soundtrack as an album i was trying to make a small list of my favorite musicals keep up the amazing pod guys also what are your favorite musicals p.s 21st century spielberg was really really good um so uh I have not seen Spice World. Has anybody here seen Spice World by any chance? T surely has. yeah.
1: I saw Spice World a long time ago, so I don't really remember much of it. Um, but from what I remember, I do think it's a kind of musical, and it is a musical, um, where the performances are the kind of put-on-a-show performances. They aren't actually um part of the story, but the kind where the movie stops and it becomes a performance. And mm. that's that doesn't accept it from being a musical because a lot of musicals from classic Hollywood um were the kind of musicals where the songs weren't part of the story, but were actually part of the, like a larger performance that the the um characters would take part in and perform. So that's why I think yes, it is a musical.
0: Okay well there you have it yeah that's that's uh let's just go ahead and, and you know bang the gavel on that ruling um i, I want to go around the circle real quick though and ask you guys what are some of your favorite musicals um chris let's start with you do you have any favorites
2: do you think they mean like movie musicals or stage
0: musicals because i think movie musicals it seems like oh, man
2: that's tough uh i mean obviously i really love like i'm gonna count it as a movie i'm gonna say hamilton um <laughs> i love the little shop of horrors movie with rick moranis i think that's a great mm-hmm musical and i real, and i have i have no shame in this i really love the greatest showman and i will not be shamed for admitting i love that awful awful movie which is just <laughs> it's so bad and i love every second of it um like and i you know it's tough because there are stage musicals that have been really poorly adapted like i love the stage version of les miserables but the movie is just fucking awful so mm. it's 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 tough it's not easy to get it right for some people
3: Yeah. Uh, Jacob, what about you? Yeah, I'll echo what Chris, uh, Little Shop is great. Uh, Hamilton's not a movie, but it's great. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This uh, whole thing again. (laughs) uh, The movie is terrible, but the show is great. Uh, But I'll go with my incredibly square answer, which is the 70s adaptation of 1776, the musical about the writing of the Declaration of Independence, uh, which is I loved it as a kid, of all things. I watched the, the H.S. tape over and over again, probably the foundational reason why I read a lot of nonfiction and read a lot of American history these days. Um, but it's a really good musical and it's really funny. And it's also incredibly, uh, it acknowledges that the founding fathers, um, a lot of them were pieces of of garbage and, um, and that, um, they were all human. Uh, even the, even the quote, even the ones who were heroic in our, in our eyes were incredibly flawed people who made damning, um, compromises get this piece of paper written, uh, it's really maybe stodgy by modern terms. It's not a flashy musical. It's very much a seventies musical adapted to a seventies musical movie. Uh, but I love seventeen seventy six. And if you're a history buff uh, or somebody who dislikes old school musicals, it's really good.
2: I gotta, I gotta say, I I like this movie a lot too. Even though it's like it's the quintessential. Uh, it's summer. You're still in high school, and the teacher rolls out the VHS cart movie. Like, all right, we're not gonna do any schoolwork today. I'm just putting on seventeen seventy
0: six. Code so for your teacher had a hangover, yes, exactly.
2: <laughs> yeah, and everyone wants to get out of here, so let's watch. Let's watch Anthony Daniels, sir. What's his name? What is it Anthony? Who?
0: Uh, William Daniels, William Daniels
2: Mr. Feeney plays yes, John Adams, and it's, it's see, a lot of
3: fun. I never watched Say by the Bell growing up, so everybody's like, Oh, Mr. Feeney, and I said, so Boy Meets World for me, Jacob. Oh, oh, sorry, <laughs> Boys Meet World, whatever see, I don't watch either of them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't
3: watch your Mr. Feeney show, I don't, oh, I don't watch man. any of those shows. I, I never saw, a single, I have saw this, they have not seen a single second of them. So for me, uh, William Daniels was always John Adams. Always he's also, a, first he's also the
2: voice of a uh, Night Rider. What a career that guy had! Huh? He was you, the, car, yeah. the talking car, John Adams, principal, all the, <laughs> all the jobs, all the jobs think, we've all had.
0: I think he was the president of the Screen Actors Guild for several years. Wow. Um, I think he like actually has like a really amazing career. So, HT, uh, what about you? What are your favorite musicals?
1: Oh, my favorite is probably Singing in the Rain, and I love a good old fashioned. A classic Hollywood musical. I love a lot of the Fred and Ginger movies, even though they're not actually great movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they, could, they basically recycled the same story over and over again, and a lot of the a lot of the music too are just uh, repurposed sort of hits of the time that they put into the into the movie. Like. Uh, the potato potato song. that I can't remember the name of. For example, mm-hmm. that's like a po- that was a popular song at the time, and they just repurposed that for the for the um, for the movie. Was it Swing Time? It might have been Swing Time, um, or the Gay Deforce. It was one of those. Uh, but I I also will give a shout out to movies that I um, really I really loved growing up. So that's Moulin Rouge, uh, Phantom of the Opera, which is not a great movie musical after seeing the actual stage adaptation. Um, or stage show it's a perfect stage show the movie musical itself is wanting but it really i loved it so much as a kid um Mm -hmm. and also the high school musical movies i they're they're great comfort food and you know what they are well-directed musicals like um director of the high school musical movies whose name i know (laughs)
0: Adam Shankman?
1: Adam Shankman. He actually has a good grasp of the musical language, unlike, for example, Tom Hooper, who has no idea how a musical works or why musicals work. He knows exactly how to stage a number and stage his, his uh, um, dancers and performers. And that's what really makes the high school musical movies underrated, not only as movies, but as musicals.
0: All right. A, a passionate defense of the High School Musical franchise. Love that. Uh, for me, I I will echo H.C.'s sentiments and say that uh, Top Hat, I think, is my favorite of the Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers uh, uh you know, a collection of works, filmography. I haven't seen all of them yet, but of the ones that I've seen, that one's my favorite so far. Um, obviously, I mean, you've got like Sound of Music and Mary Poppins, um, which are, are classics. I wrote down uh, White Christmas, which I know HTA watched recently for the first time, but it's been a, a staple around my house every Christmas. Um, Sing Street, I love, is a more recent one. The Umbrellas of Cherbourg is sort of a, like an unconventional uh, musical. I, I love um,
1: The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, but I i i guess we have to go into the conversation of whether that's musical because yeah it's the same i know over that one's and and like on again. The,
0: yeah it's it's sort of on the edge because it's basically people singing every line of dialogue and it's not actual songs but i just wanted to mention it because i feel like it's undersung like not enough modern audiences have gone back and and you know sought out that movie so i just wanted to plug it any way i can and then uh other ones that i sort of grew up with were um like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which I feel like nobody ever talks about anymore, but I actually kind of like has.
1: That. I had a VHS that I watched over and over again.
0: <laughs> so maybe that one, uh, maybe people are, are sort of aware of that, but um, yeah. So, and like once uh, Guys and Dolls is, is, entertaining. I mean there's a ton of, of great ones. So I guess we, we could be here all day just talking about musicals. So let's move on to the next one uh, the next uh, mailbag entry which is I'll read it here. Um Carl from Canada says, "I heard on today's episode that you're looking for both good and silly questions for mailbag on the show. Something I've always done at each of my workplaces with my coworkers has been to cast the movie about my job. Who would play me, who would play each of my coworkers, uh, our boss, etc." So, what household name is going to star as Peter in slash film daily the movie? What character actor will portray jacob which famous comedian will play brad which classic straight man will take on ben which young up-and-comers will take on the iconic roles of chris and ht thanks for the throughout the week really appreciate having this podcast to listen to um, okay guys so uh, i have no idea how to handle this this seems like a big question um do, jacob it sounds like you've you've given this one some thought do you have uh, a a cast ready to go for slash film daily the movie
3: everyone except me
0: okay all right well, Peter, as the
3: headliner of the show, as the star attraction, the guy who holds it all together, we need somebody who's not just a movie star, but a producer and somebody who's willing to take chances, like uh, put on a fancy with Tropic Thunder or sing as an 80s hair metal band uh, in, 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 um, in Rock of Asia. So Tom Cruise is Peter Theretta. Um He has to be.
1: Okay, I love it.
2: (laughs) This is not going how I expected, but
0: keep going. (laughs) Me neither, but I like the idea of like this person capturing the essence. Uh, I I like this tactic, I I like the path you're going down here, Jacob. Yeah, keep
3: going. Yeah, um, and for Ben, we needed somebody who is like not just like a reliable actor, but somebody who shows up on screen and you kind of immediately realize, oh, this guy is capable of, of playing reliable. He shows up, he gets the job done, he's charming, he may not like. Uh, he may not shine as brightly immediately as like other people in the cast who have like you know like more vivacious personalities, but you realize the show can't exist without him.
0: So that's Adam Scott as Ben. Oh, oh um, I
1: actually like that.
0: I like that too. And and by the way, Jacob, just to bring it all the way back, Adam Scott had a, a guest run on Boy Meets World growing oh. up, so you might want to seek that out. <laughs> okay, uh, continue. on Veronica Mars. Oh, yeah. You know, I was thinking definitely, I think you're the Ben Wyatt of our show,
3: is what I'm saying. Ah, uh, yes, um, yes. All right. Uh, HD, I thought, okay, who's roughly her age, who is um, a cool Asian uh, woman in, uh, in her 20s, who uh, is both funny and ambitious and is clearly intelligent in how she tackles her work, uh, whether it's voicing animated characters or starring in Marvel movies or like. Starring in, like, incredible drama. So it's Aquafina as HD, clearly.
1: Oh, I feel like this is a really nice way of you just, like, doling out compliments to us, which I, <laughs> I don't mind at all. Thanks, Jacob.
3: All right, uh, and Chris is going to hate this, but I have the only person who can play Chris. <laughs> uh, going by Carl's rules, which are uh, uh, an up-and-comer needs to play Chris, I thought, who is a young up-and-comer who's always looking for meaty roles? Somebody who, even when um, he's biting off more than he can chew, is clearly ambitious is clearly trying to work with the best. Is clearly putting his his all out there at all times. Uh, that's Timothy Chalamet. Chris, you're Timothy Chalamet.
2: I mean, I'll I'll accept that just because it'll, yeah. You know, what what do I have to complain about there? Sure, thank you. I'll take it.
1: I like that the age casting of this of this cast is like not accurate at all. No, it's no, no, better. At all. Honestly, I love it.
3: And finally, I felt one hard about Brad. Uh, he's not on the show, so I, maybe if I thought who captures the essence of Brad, I realized that no one captures the essence of Brad. Except for the Jim Henson Workshop, so Bradley played by a Muppet, uh, great <laughs> specifically um, to uh, like, you know how a Muppet like puts like popcorn in his mouth and all falls out, looks like he's eating. Um, but, so I, I thought about Brad's snack segments. I imagine a, a a really awesome Muppet putting lots of snacks in his mouth, and that's what I thought about Brad. So that's.
1: <laughs> oh man, I hope I you love like that this immediately, and it's like.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, HT and Chris, do you guys have any thoughts about who could play Jacob?
1: Oh.
2: This is no I can't I don't know this is hard and I'm like
0: yeah. I have a thought. Um I feel like it's the same kind of thing that you described for me Jacob like somebody who's not like not like super flashy but also like definitely like the glue that sort of like holds the whole thing together. Um and I think Jesse Clemens might be a good Jacob.
3: I will absolutely take that. I will absolutely I'm a big Jesse Clemens fan. I I almost picked Jesse Clemens for Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Before I realized, no, well, interesting. That's a okay, yeah. young and comer, so that's why I reverted to Timothy Chalamet. So <laughs> Jesse Plumman's gotten our cast somehow
0: uh ht and chris do you guys have any thoughts for like if if you were to cast um somebody to play yourselves and whether that means you know like essence based kind of what jacob was talking about or like somebody who maybe like somebody has said looks like you or somebody who is a little closer to your age range or whatever like have you guys thought about have been ever been asked that before and have like an answer locked and loaded
1: well every rising asian actor has been compared to me at one point because there's a very limited pool uh, including animated characters like i've been called I've had people say you look like Mulan. I'm like, thanks. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. um, but you know, I'm going to highlight some of the uh, Vietnamese actors who I think are are getting some exciting, um, you know, spotlight. Uh, Kelly, Marie, Kelly Marie Tran, for example, who uh, mm-hmm. uh, is vastly underused in the Star Wars series and is just a joy to watch every time. Uh, Lana Condor from To All the Boys I Loved Before is also Vietnamese and uh, really cute. She also has like my cheeks. So <laughs> they both have my cheeks actually. So that would be great. Uh, Hong Chow, if we want to go for like the, uh, the award-winning um, fair. So mm. yeah, there we go.
0: Excellent. All right, Chris, what about you? Oh man, I don't know. Maybe
2: like a sack of garbage that's like rolling down the hill <laughs> and know? there are like flies <laughs> buzzing around it. Like that. Was, that's who should play me. And like it leaves like a sludge trail as it rolls down the hill like a snail. <laughs>
1: you know, you would make you would oh be a God. great method too. You <laughs> like-
2: would be a great sack of garbage. That's what you're doing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You would be, I would love if you were a Muppet because then I could cuddle you.
2: Ah, I don't know what, I'd, I'd be like one of the old man Muppets, I think. The Oh the, yeah, the, Statler the, and Waldorf. Yeah, <laughs> I'd be one of the, or like the, the combination of them, like a big
0: mutant version of them.
2: <laughs> like they stepped into the machine from the fly and became one person and that's- Oh, uh,
0: Sam the Eagle, Chris. It's the, uh, yeah. we were, you and I were just watching um, uh, Muppet, The Great Muppet Caper and there's this moment where all the Muppets are gathered in this room and Sam the Eagle- just like he's completely isolated from the rest of the cast. He pokes his head out and just goes, you're all weirdos yes. and like shakes his head and then slams the door shut. I feel like that's big Chris energy right yeah, there.
2: I'll take that. Sure.
0: <laughs> Better than garbage. Uh, I was asking my wife about this, like who should play me? And she said, uh, John Krasinski. And I think I had a friend who I worked with in a previous job say that, like that I reminded them or, or whatever the, that, it seemed like John Krasinski would be a good fit in that sort of scenario, like the office era, uh, John Krasinski of just like, that like normal guy looking at the camera, but occasionally sarcastic and and that whole shtick. So uh, John Krasinski is my pick for me, but I would love for the, to open this up for the listeners. If anybody has any ideas of like, you know, people that we remind you of just, uh, I don't know if you've ever looked to pictures of us, but just our, our personalities, our voices, whatever, um, like the essence that Jacob was tapping into. I'd love to, to open the floor up. If anybody has any, um, any ideas, maybe we'll read that as a, like a follow-up in, an, in another um, mailbag segment. Um, okay, last question um uh missy in florida writes love slash family and all the hosts can't wait until you get back to a daily format um podcasts have been such an essential part of quarantine life and keeping my sanity to that end i'd love to hear from the panel about what movies are their favorite mood boosters something funny something hopeful question mark so for missy in florida do any of you have any uh favorite mood booster movies um ht let's start with you
1: Well, my go-to movie when I'm feeling sad is not really a a completely happy movie, I guess, but it's Roman Holiday. It's like it's Audrey Hepburn, um, Gregory Peck uh, romance, and it has sort of a bittersweet ending. But it it feels so escapist and um, like this in like this wonderful sunny Italian villa or Italian like you know Roman (laughs) setting, Mm -hmm. and uh, it's just. In two hours of Audrey Hepburn, Gregory Peck running around Rome and, you know, some of it a bittersweet ending, but I always turn that on whenever I need a mood booster, despite it's its uh, more melancholy undertones, but it's such a fun movie and I absolutely love it. Um, other mood boosters is I usually return to childhood favorites, so a lot of Studio Ghibli movies. uh kiki's delivery service is one of my favorites even though because it's actually about a girl going through an identity crisis of of a kind so it's somewhat <laughs> allows me to like go through those kind of um emotional turns while uh in real life and in fiction and and to watch that and it's just so what so, uh, wonderful to um escape back to those times too so those are my go-to i don't really go to comedy i guess that much oh i do like to watch a lot of the teen comedies like clueless for example or 10 things i hate about you
0: Mm. excellent uh chris what about you
2: i don't know if i really have a mood booster which you can probably tell because i'm such a miserable bastard
0: and maybe (laughs) i should have
2: one i mean i've been rewatching a lot of like muppet movies lately which i've said before in the past and they're they're just a lot of fun and
0: I what about like Scorsese movies or Spielberg? Like these filmmakers that you love, do, when you watch those movies, do you... Yeah, but they're not like
2: uplifting... <laughs> Like I, I really love rewatching like Goodfellas a lot, but that's not an uplifting movie at all. It's like a violent, depressing movie about how people destroy
0: their lives. So I don't know if it would but be If really- it boosts your mood, then that's all that counts in this question. Then
2: all right, yeah. And I also like really love rewatching Oliver Stone's
0: JFK, which is like a,
2: a three-hour movie about conspiracy theories. And like no one's, no one's gonna watch that and be like, I feel better now, except me, because I just love that movie. So. What I'm saying is no one should ever listen to me about anything.
0: <laughs> all right, Jacob, what about you?
3: Uh, I'll go with a recent one. This is a movie that had the most play during quarantine in my home, and that's Thor Ragnarok, a movie I've probably watched a dozen times over the past year. Uh, I think it was uh, uh Polygon's Matt Patches who called it an antidepressant in movie form, and I really stand by this. It is just a anarchic joy. First of all, it's, it, I love... Marvel movies always go down really easy for me. They're, they all of them comfort me in whatever weird way because I, they they, they the formula I find very relaxing. Mm-hmm. But this is the one where it's just Chris Hemsworth being having his comedy powers unlocked. Uh, every, everybody having comedy powers unlocked. Everybody's so funny. Everybody's so loose. And Taika Waititi is just uh, milking every frame for pure joy and just throwing rules and caution to the wind and just uh, it is just how can we make a scene that is incredibly entertaining, funny, sweet, and charming. Uh repeated for however many scenes there are in the movie. Uh <laughs> the only time where it ever gets dark is where Kate Blanchett kills everybody. Uh and that's still great because Kate Blanchett looks great in those scenes. Uh and I, can, I can admire the fashion choices. Uh <laughs> Ragnarok is just I can't think of like a movie from the past five years that like I put on and immediately feel better. Um however I will say that another movie creeping up on it uh unlikely dark horse in this category is knives out i watched it again two nights ago and i think i could watch knives out every day and never get bored me. of it I, I like getting lost in that movie and it has such a hopeful ending uh, where at the root of the mystery is characters who realize hey if, you, if you're a good person maybe um it may be hard but you will you will win and that final shot just brings me lots of joy so knives out and
0: throw ragnarok man uh interesting choices guys um I, for sort of go, in line with what hg was talking about like childhood favorites like toy story and fair spieler's day off are, are two big ones for me that that instantly like put a smile on my face um sing street i mentioned in the musical category but this this one is like a it works in both it boosts my mood every time i watch that film uh the first half of wedding crashers i think <laughs> works really well the movie like takes some depressing turns at, at the halfway point um so maybe if you're just like scrolling through you know channels on tv if you happen to still, still subscribe to cable and see the first half of Wedding Crashers. That sort of fits the bill for me anyway. Uh, Anchorman. And then um, I think the big one for me would be Fast Five, which is just like so goofy and and over the top and ridiculous that, uh, yeah, I just I love it and it makes me happy. So um, yeah, I think that's, that's going to bring us to the end of this episode. I was going to Chris ask you to tell, give us your uh, reaction to um, the little things, which is the new uh, Denzel Washington movie. I'm going to link to your review in the show notes, but we're sort of out of time for this episode. So maybe we'll talk about that on, on Thursday or something, if we have time after the, the water cooler. But, uh, if people want to read your review, which is published at SlashFilm.com right now, they can do that. I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. You can find more of all of the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and link inside the show notes of this episode. Slash from Daily is published every weekday bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps and send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, uh, movie casting suggestions, other mailbag questions to peter at slash film.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. And also don't forget if you can take a few minutes and do this rate and review the podcast on uh, Apple podcasts. That really helps us out a lot. Tell your friends about the show, spread the word. If you enjoy listening to us, thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you all tomorrow.